Welcome to the Branch Podcast. Today we continue the series, Faces of Our Faith. But this week, instead of just looking at one or two biblical characters who maybe don't get a lot of attention, we're looking at 28. A whole collection of people from Romans 16, most of whom are not mentioned ever again in the biblical story. Yet, their names and what we learn about them have something to say for how we live today. Let's get to it. So I imagine that you've heard this little story before, uh, but let me offer it to you again. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish who is swimming in the other direction, who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the world is water? You know, have you heard this story before, right? The, the point of the story, or at least one of the points, is that the most obvious and important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see. They're the ones that are hardest to recognize or be aware of because they're just there. They're part of the water that we swim in. I think that certainly can be true with things like culture. Uh, Culture in the United States, not to mention culture in West Michigan, uh, is a particular type of water that we swim in every day. And it becomes so ordinary, so ingrained into our lives that we often are unaware of its presence and its influence. And this is, I would suggest to you this morning, to our detriment. Um, When the water of culture goes unnoticed, we are likely to be swept away by its current. Now let me pause here and just say, um, this is not a sermon about how culture is fundamentally evil. I think that sometimes happens in Christian circles where we we pit Christians against culture and we have these culture wars that that take place. Human culture in its myriad of forms is a gift from God. Music, language, art, institutions, customs, norms, culture can be incredibly beautiful and good. And, like all things, it also can become twisted, a distorted and warped expression of what it is meant to be. But let me, let me just ask you for a moment, and if you're on Facebook, you can put um, your, your answers, your thoughts in the comments. I've got a computer back here I'll peek at to see if anybody's doing that. If you're here on the lawn, I'd love to hear from you. I know. You'd have to, like, open your mouth and talk. It's very awkward in a big group, I understand. But we do this quite often, so maybe it's not all that awkward. Um, I want you to think for a moment and then give voice to what you imagine, what you think are some of the cultural norms of our day and time and place. So if you live in the United States and in the Midwest and in West Michigan, and to my knowledge, all of you at least here do, some of you online don't and you're actually quite 
a distance away in a very different culture potentially. But what are the cultural norms that you notice? What are the, the ways of being in the world, the values, the expectations that our culture upholds uh, here today in the world that we live in? What do you think? What is our culture value? What does it hold up as good and important? Independence? Independence. Absolutely. Money. Money's a value. Yes. What's that, Andy? Busyness. A value. That's right. Oh, how are you? Oh, I'm so busy. And it's like a badge of honor, right? Yeah. Oh, you should hear what my week's been like. You know? Good? Busyness, money, independence. What else? Beauty. Beauty. Hmm. And a particular type of beauty, of course. What community is held up as a value? I think that's probably true. It's uh, then maybe in conflict with independence. Um, I'm, I'm going to say more about that today, actually. What else? Education is valued. Certainly... Depending on, yes, well, this particular culture that we are in here, yeah, that's probably true for a lot of folks. A particular kind of education maybe is held up and esteemed. Could be, yeah. Oh, being special is held up as important in our culture. Good. Yeah, what you do for your work. And if you, as Janelle kind of mentioned last week when she was preaching, if you don't work in a paid job, you know, you might be viewed as less than. And then if you do work in a paid occupation, do you have the right kind of occupation? Is it noteworthy? Is it, right? Sports are held up? Sure are. Yeah, they are uh, mythologized and... They, they hold a very special place in our culture. Go Lions or not, whatever, whatever you'd like. <laughs> Any others? The arts? Yeah, can be. You know, maybe, um, certainly can be. In certain segments, you know, and what, but then we have all kinds of questions. Well, what kind of art are we talking about, right? And um, is one type of art valued over another type of art? It's a whole interesting conversation to have. Good. So um, I did not plant in Matthew J. Overman uh, that answer of independence, but that's actually where I want to go today. Um, I want to talk about the rugged individualism, which is, I, I want to suggest to you, a primary part of the water that we swim in. And I, I don't know that you can grow up in this particular country. And I would say West Michigan even has its own unique flavor of independence and rugged individualism. I don't, I don't know that you can grow up here and not have that pull you in a certain direction. The current of a rugged individual uh, is very strong. Um, this message that you matter more than anyone else, but it's not just that. Um, 
it's really that you don't need anyone else. That's the independence part. Now, I suspect that you've probably never had anyone, maybe you have, but it doesn't happen often that someone comes right up to you and says blatantly, I am better than you and I don't need you, right? Socially, that's not acceptable, interestingly. Like if you say that, you're viewed as arrogant or, you know, whatever. And yet, internally, I would imagine every single one of us every day feels the pull to some version of that. To believe that I'm better and, again, that I don't need you. I want to keep that in mind when we turn to Romans 16. And I would really invite you to pull out a phone. Uh, if you have a paper, actual Bible with you today, to pull that out. If you're at home, grab some way of viewing this passage. It's 16 verses that we're going to read. And if you don't have it in front of you and you're just listening to me, um, I, I think maybe something gets a little lost today. It, it will be helpful because this is it's kind of a unique uh, set of verses. In this series that we've been in this summer, we've been looking at a, a different individual, sometimes a couple of people, but most weeks we've been looking at a person who kind of has gone unnoticed, who doesn't get a lot of our attention when it comes to biblical characters. And so we've been looking at people like Deborah and Philemon and Pua and Shifra. Today, instead of looking at one person, we're going to look at 28. In Romans 16, 1 to 16, there are 28 people and then some others that are not mentioned specifically that Paul mentions at the end of this letter. Remember, the book of Romans is not a book. Why did we start calling it that? I don't know. It's a letter. That's what this thing was. That's what it is. Paul's writing a letter to a group of Christians in Rome and in the surrounding areas in his day and time. Paul has spent some time there. He has relationship with many people, as we'll see in a moment. And in chapter 16, we're getting to the end of this letter. What do you do? We don't know. We don't write letters anymore. What do, what, what do you imagine one might do when they get to the end of a long letter to someone? What's that? You read it again? Yeah. If you're the one writing it, I think you're probably saying goodbye. You're kind of giving your final um, I love yous, you know. And again, Paul's not writing a letter to a person. He's writing to a whole community of people. Here in verses 1 to 16, let's read this together. We read Paul's goodbyes, his final words to, to this group of people that he had worked with and that he loved. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Cancrea. And by the way, I'm just going to say, there's 28 plus names in here. A lot of them I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce. Here's, here's a trick. Whenever you're reading in front of a group of people, biblical names, just say it. Just read them like you know how they're supposed to be pronounced. And then everyone goes, oh, that's how it's supposed to be pronounced? Okay. So you just play it cool, and that's what I'm about to do. Here we go. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them 
and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my f- dear friend, Epin- Epinetus. See, I didn't do that confidently. Now you're wondering, right? Okay. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Wow. Hmm. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, a good man whom Christ approves, and give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus? Yeah. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Give my greetings to Terphenia and Terphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Greet my, give my greetings to Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philagus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and to Olympus, and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. Now, if you're doing one of those read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plans, anybody ever done this? And, you know, you've got to cover a lot of ground. You're reading a lot of, of the Bible every day. You might get to Romans 16, 1 through 16, and just skim. Because you're looking at this list of people and goodbyes, and you're thinking, what does this have to do with me? Right? I mean, what's, what, what? It's nice that he did this. Good for Paul. Very kind of him. But big deal to me. Let me suggest that it is a big deal. And let me offer a couple of ideas for us to chew on together. You know, this passage, I think, helps orient us to the truth that relationship and friendship and community are the unmistakable way of God working in the world. Every day we are pulled into this current that esteems and honors the individual accomplishment, right? We enshrine stories of the person who overcomes all odds, who rises above the fray to do the impossible. I mean, sure, you know, to Deb's point, family and friends are great if you can get them. But the stories that get lifted up in our country's mythology are often not the stories of people who rely on others. They're the stories of people who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. I was not feeling particularly well for a couple days this week. I spent some time in bed, got an opportunity to catch up on some TV shows, watch some ones I had never seen before. I watched a few episodes of uh, The Morning Show, 
which is produced by Apple TV. And uh, this is a show about the number one rated morning news show in America. And Jennifer Aniston is one of the lead anchors. Steve Carell's the other, although he's a mess. And that's really the driving thrust of, of the show. But Aniston's character has reached the pinnacle. For 15 years, she is the quintessential realization of the American dream. She has power, fame, money, influence. But when you, so in some ways you look at her and you think, well, she is it. She's who I want to be. And I'll be honest, when I see, you know, her getting taken around the city by a driver and telling them to go here and I see her apartment and I, there's a part of me that watches this show and thinks, that would be pretty nice, you know. But, of course, there's more to the story. There's always more to the story. And one of the driving storylines of this show is how her life is falling apart because she is alone. It's not that she doesn't have a lot of people around her. She does. She even has a husband and a daughter. But she has pushed everyone away. She's alone, and, and her life is crumbling. I'm, I'm pulling into the parking space over here this morning. Literally, I'm in the car for just a few minutes, and on the uh, radio is some art critic. Couldn't tell you his name. Don't even know the story that he was largely a part of. I caught 30 seconds of this thing, and this is what I heard him say. One of the great tragedies and beauties of being in America is that we are alone. And then I turned the car off and came here to this pavilion to set up and I was like, wow. Um, I mean, once in my life I would have thought that God had like especially given me that thing for this particular moment. I don't believe that so much anymore, but it was an interesting coincidence, you know, that uh, here's this person talking about how the great tragedy and he's going to also suggest the great beauty is that we are alone. And I thought, I don't agree with you, but I do think we are alone quite often. And not necessarily because we want to be, but there is, again, a current pulling us into a way of thinking and being in the world that says, I'm better than you and I don't need you. And so it's interesting that here in Romans 16, we have someone, Paul, the author of this letter, who I think is often thought of as a really impressive individual. Would you agree? And when you think of Paul, I mean, this is like, Paul, wow, Paul, Paul, you know, like the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, the guy who, well, I think we, I think about him is single-handedly starting churches across Asia. The one who is the force behind the, the spread of Christianity. He's the key theologian. He's, you know, on and on and on. This is like Paul. Wow. But when you read Romans 16, it becomes pretty clear that it wasn't just Paul. It's Paul and Phoebe and Junia. And Olympus, it's Paul and Persis, and Urbanus, and Priscilla, it's Paul 
and over and over and over again. And listen to the ways that he talks about these 28 people. He calls them dear friends. Dear friends. Not acquaintances. Dear friends. Phoebe is a benefactor. Urbanus, Mary, and others are co-workers, co-laborers. Priscilla and Aquila have risked their lives for Paul. Andronicus and Junia went to prison with him. And Rufus's mother was like a mother to Paul. Read through this list, and to me, my, my idea of who Paul was begins to shift. Paul, the great apostle, maybe, maybe that's the wrong way to think about him. Maybe it's much more that Paul was actually just someone who was greatly connected and greatly supported, greatly empowered by this web of relationship and community who held him up. Now, again, a moment to pause and and to say that I'm not suggesting to you this morning that thinking of yourself as an individual is inherently a bad thing to do. Guess what? You are an individual. That's true. And to know yourself as an individual, to know who you are, that is a really important work that many of us get started way too late in life. You know, figuring out who, who am I? And to care for yourself, critical. But knowing yourself and caring for yourself and seeing yourself as an individual in those ways is very different from the rugged individualism of our culture. The water that you swim in, that I swim in every day, encourages us to see ourselves as lone rangers. You can do this on your own. Push comes to shove. You can handle this. You don't need help. You don't have to admit that you can't do it. Just press on. Put on a good face. Pull yourself up. Dust yourself off and press on. Isn't that the message of our culture? And so being vulnerable, (laughs) being vulnerable is not esteemed not held up as a value in our culture, typically. Whether it's admitting to a friend that you've had an awful week or accepting the help of a neighbor or being emotionally vulnerable with someone who's close to you, admitting, confessing, these are not things that we do easily for most of us anyway. There's probably a number of reasons for that, but I think one of them is because of this current that is in our culture pulling us in that direction. So this passage points us in a different direction, offers us a different way of thinking about ourselves. And that's how I want to close this morning. I want to invite you to think of yourself a little differently than you might normally. And again, it's not that anyone here, I've never met anyone who's, who's just said blatantly, I don't need you, and I'm better than you are. And I think actually all of us want to be in connection, want to be people who are, have the kind of community that Paul did. But it's going to take some intentionality because the current, again, is pulling us in a different direction.
So in your liturgy, on that piece of paper, or you could just grab a blank piece of paper back from this table here, um, we're going to spend a few minutes praying and thinking about the people that are in our lives. So on the liturgy, I ask you questions like, who is your benefactor like Phoebe was? Who's the person in your life that supports you, that holds you up? Who are the people that you are co-laboring with, be it at home, in the neighborhood, at work? Who are the people who have your back? Who are the people who, who are those folks? And then flip the question. Who, who in your life do you or could you be that to? Who could you be a support to? Who could you be a Junia to, a Urbanus to, a Phoebe, a Priscilla? And so just for a couple moments, in some space on a piece of paper or in a note on your phone, just maybe start listing out the people that are in your life. Who are those that are close to you? Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. Just have a little brainstorming session with yourself. And then we're going to spend a few minutes praying together for the people in our lives. And while you're thinking and doing some brainstorming, I'm going to have uh, Elena and Matt and Zeke come on up again. Again, who are those folks for you? I think one of the, one of the invitations that God extends to us is that with the people that are in our lives, uh, that we would be instruments of peace with them, and to them, and for them. We we also certainly hope and trust that uh, that we would be. You're totally good, man. Thank you. I uh, you know. There's also the call for us to be recipients of peace from, from the people that are in our lives. Again, that's the us moving away from the belief in rugged individualism and independence. So can we receive the peace that others may have for us? And can we be instruments of peace who are extending it to those who are in our lives? So we're going to sing a song here. It's, again, super simple. It's in your liturgy on the back side, I believe, or on page two if you're looking at the, the digital version. has lyrics to a refrain and to verse one. We're going to sing that through for you here to begin. And then you can also see on your liturgy kind of a rhythm of prayer and song. I'm going to invite you to enter into a time of prayer of gratitude for those people in your life who are peace to you. Um, we're going to then sing that refrain. Then we'll have a time to pray for the ways maybe in which our relationships are broken, are hurting. So that's the lament or the protest part. Then we'll sing that refrain again. And then finally we'll pray 
for what we might need, petition, prayers of petition, for us to be, again, people of peace. So here's how this song goes. Just give it a listen again. We'll sing it through here, and then I'll lead us through some times of prayer, inviting you also to sing that refrain as we go along.